before me looking to God's Word, I thought I'd just give you a bit of an idea of where I'm heading at the moment with my sermon series. So we were in the beginning of John's Gospel and we were working along bit by bit and I thought with uh, Easter coming up I'd jump into uh, getting closer to the time of the crucifixion. So we're going to look at that for uh, the next couple of weeks. We're going to look at Judas today. Hopefully next week we'll look at Peter, involvement with uh, Jesus uh, uh, going into his trial. And then when Good Friday comes we'll, and Easter Sunday, we will then uh, look at Jesus' death and resurrection then. So we're on a bit of a lead up to Easter. And then after that, I will uh, begin a series on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew and we'll come back to John next year. We'll pick up a John 4, uh, probably January next year, and we'll start plotting along there again. So that's where I'm headed. Uh, So uh, today we'll be looking at Judas and looking at John's account of who Judas is and uh, what we can learn from Judas. All right, so let's uh, speak with him now, with our Lord, before we look into uh, his record here. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. It is not just a historical record, but it is that and it is something we can rely on and trust. But it is your very word, that every word we have before us is God-breathed and is useful for training us in a way to live before you. We pray that we may be trained this morning, that we may be rebuked, and that we may be encouraged to live godly lives before you. And we pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Well, I've never been in a punch-up in school. I never had a fight with anyone. I was a bit shorter than everyone else, so it was a bit more difficult for me to have a fight. Although sometimes, you know, shorter people, they have that small man syndrome, you know, where they want to take on everybody that's taller than them. But I didn't have that, so I wasn't, uh, I wasn't someone who was involved in fisticuffs at school. But I have kicked a hole in a door uh, in, in a fight, and that was with my sister. Uh, we were fighting about something and she dashed off for the bathroom because, of course, the bathroom is the safest place in the house whenever you're having a fight because generally there's a lock on the door and people don't barge into bathrooms. You're trained from a very young age to give people privacy once they're in the bathroom. So she made a dash for the bathroom and I chased her and I didn't go so much to kick her but I, I put my foot out to kick the door so that it wouldn't be able to shut so she couldn't get into the safety. And as she slammed it and I put my foot out, my foot went through the door. And what made it uh, worse, of course, was that we had just recently moved into the house and it was the first home that my parents had owned and it had been built as a brand new home and it was two weeks that we'd been living there and here I put a great big hole in the bathroom door. So I have raised my foot against someone and raising your foot against someone is seen to be something that is quite terrible. Some cultures, I believe, to just raise your soul towards someone is seen to be a, a terrible act and it is uh, a disgrace to do it to someone and is saying that you uh, don't like that person at all. So to raise your foot against someone is seen to be a terrible thing. And this is the way that Jesus describes Judas' act of betrayal to him. He describes it as raising his heel against him. And we see that in John chapter 13. That passage we just read, John chapter 13, verse 18. Jesus is predicting his betrayal and he quotes from that psalm, Psalm 41 that Ray read at the beginning. Psalm 41, he quotes from it and says in verse 18 of John chapter 13, 
I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfil the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Judas is described as lifting up his heel and kicking against his friend. It is someone who has shared his bread. Shared Jesus' bread is lifting up his heel and kicking against Jesus. He is going to betray Jesus and then we see that he goes ahead and does this. He betrays Jesus in chapter 18, that other passage we just read. Chapter 18 of John, we see Jesus, he finishes praying in verse 1. He leaves with his disciples and crosses the Kidron Valley. On the other side there was an olive grove and he and his disciples went into it. And then verse 2, the betrayal comes. John chapter 18. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. He leads the soldiers and those servants to Jesus Christ. He betrays Jesus Christ there. And then when the lines are drawn, we see down in uh, verse 5 that he is clearly standing on the side of the enemy. Uh, We read from verse 4, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Verse 5, Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, I am he, Jesus said. And then we see the last mention of Judas in John's Gospel. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. Judas betrays Jesus there as predicted. And betrayals are a terrible thing and they have happened frequently within church history. Some of Christ's worst enemies have come from within the church. It is, uh, Judas is setting a standard there that then comes along century by century. People from within the church betray Jesus Christ. And it is not something that pleases him, it is something that troubles him. We see that back in chapter 13 where he predicts his betrayal. Uh, We see it in chapter 13 verse 21. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. Jesus didn't, you know, discard it as an incidental part of his Uh, work on earth that he was going to be betrayed it troubled him in spirit it is a terrible thing to be betrayed and it was terrible for Jesus Christ to be betrayed by Judas one of his very own disciples who had been with him all this time turned out to betray him and so I want to look at uh, Judas this morning and how he can serve as a warning for us how can Judas serve as a warning to us as the betrayer of Jesus Christ My first main point then is Judas warns us not to love money. Judas warns us not to love money. See, Judas' betrayal didn't come out of nowhere. He actually had a history of betrayal, particularly when it came to money. He liked money, he loved money, and that led him to betray not just Jesus Christ but to a betrayal of trust. And we see this with John chapter 12. We didn't read it this morning, but John chapter 12 is important in understanding who Judas is. In John chapter 12 at the beginning we see Mary there taking a pint in verse 3 of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and pouring it on Jesus' feet and wiping his feet with her hair. She takes this very expensive bottle of perfume and pours it all over Jesus' feet. Is everyone pleased about this? 
No, we see in verse 4, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. He says in verse 5, Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Obviously Judas is uh, quite a good uh, financial uh, assessor and so he's looked at the bottle of perfume, seen how much is there, seen what quality the perfume is and he's gone, that's about a year's wages. Just think about that, how much you make per year, entire year's salary, spending all of that on one bottle of perfume and then pouring it all out in one go. That's what was happening to Jesus from Mary. She was pouring out a year's worth of wages on Jesus' feet. And he said it should have been given to the poor. What a waste of money. Why did he say it? Did he really care about the poor? Now John is the only author of a gospel who tells us why Judas objects here. Verse 6 of John chapter 12. He did not say this, that is Judas, because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So, it is no surprise then later we see Judas betraying Jesus for money. He betrays Judas, uh, Jesus later on for 30 silver coins. Now that's not the same uh, amount of money that this bottle of perfume would have fetched but it's about 120 days wages, uh, 30 silver coins, the, the price that he betrayed Jesus for. So think about 120 days work, a third of your year. That's how much money, a third of your year's salary, that's how much money Judas got for Jesus Christ. And we see there that there's a pattern of him dipping his hand into money, loving money there, sinning by stealing there, linking to later on to a betrayal. He starts off with one sin and he continues to love money and it continues to lead him into further sin. So Judas serves as a warning to us, I believe, to not love money. Money is a particular problem for us all. We need it to live. We function in a society where money is the way that we uh, purchase the things that we need but it also has that attractive and alluring quality. Sometimes we just like to have lots of money just so that we can say we've got lots of money or to watch our money, watch our money grow. We aren't like uh, Scrooge McDuck where he swims in his money. I always love that how he has his own, if you follow Donald Duck, he used to dive into pools of money. We don't do that but we do like to watch our bank balance and if we uh, have investments and things like that we, we watch our money grow and so we like to accumulate it. But the other problem with money is that it gets us stuff that we like. The things that we can buy with money is one attraction for having lots of money. We want those things that are luxuries, that we, we desire all the time, that we see advertised on the television and in the magazines that we read in the newspaper. We see these things and we want them. And how do we get them? We get them with money. And so we want to accumulate money so that we can get those things. And we sometimes just want to accumulate money so that we've just got money. But we have to make sure that we aren't like Judas, that we don't have such a love for money that it leads us into sin. That's what Judas was doing. He was loving money so much that it was causing him to steal and that it caused him to end up betraying Jesus Christ altogether. We have to think about how we love money and what it is leading us to do. 
Because we may not think that our love for money at first is so damaging. We may think that, oh, I just, I just like the money and I like some things and we have these luxuries in life and God does give us things to be pleased about and to take pleasure in. But when it leads us into sin, it is quite damaging. And it may not be that you openly go and steal money, that you work out, you know, your, your father's wallet's always there and you may be able to take some money out. You don't actively do that. But you can lie to get money and to have more money very easily. One of the obvious ways, of course, is on your taxes. Uh, it's getting harder all the time to fake your taxes because of computer systems, they say, that they can check your bank balance and how much interest you've made and it can all sort of filter in by your tax file number into the government and so they can work out whether you're lying. But you can still lie about tax deductions and things like that, uh, how much you deduct on your tax and, and what is a legitimate tax deduction. People can claim mobile phones and cars and things like this very easily without them being legitimate tax deductions. They're actually using a lot of it for personal use we can very easily begin to lie to get ourselves more money. And we do that in many ways. And what the damaging thing can be is that it leads us into further sin. As we begin to lie, like we see Judas there, lying about his concern for the poor so that he can get more money, so it can lead us to further sin as well. And this is not just uh, something that uh, comes exclusively from Judas as an example of money uh, being damaging. We see throughout the Bible that there is often, uh, the Bible often speaks about a love for money and how damaging it can be. Paul is a very good example in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul writes to Timothy and warns him about money and how damaging it can be. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 9. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. What happens to people who want to get rich according to verse 9? They fall into temptations and a trap. And then he continues in verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I wonder if Paul had in his mind there Judas Iscariot. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. A love for money can lead you to eventually wander from the faith altogether. At first, Judas was just there dipping into the money bag, stealing what he could. He wasn't betraying Christ altogether. He wasn't wandering from the faith. But eventually, that love for money is what the that's how he betrayed Jesus. He wanted money and he saw that he could get it if he betrayed Jesus. And one day that may happen to you if you continue to love money. You may see that it may be more profitable to be a non-Christian than to be a Christian and you may end up going down that path and being like Judas. So the first lesson we learn from Judas is not to love money. Not to love money. The second lesson we can learn from Judas is not to hide our sin. Not to hide our sin. It's very interesting that none of the disciples twigged to the fact that Judas was the one that was going to betray Jesus Christ. And this isn't just uh, that they should have worked it out for themselves. They were actually warned about this. Jesus warns them early on that someone's going to betray him. We see this back in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, we have the first warning that Jesus is going to be betrayed. John chapter 6, verse 70. 
Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He warned them back early on that someone among the disciples, among the very twelve, is a devil, is going to be bad news later on. Did the disciples work out who it was going to be? No, we see in John chapter 13, the passage that we did read, where he predicts his betrayal again, that he says in verse 21, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. Did they all suddenly go, yes, we've heard this before and since you told us last time, Jesus, we've worked out who it's going to be. It's going to be Judas. He's the one that's going to betray you. We've always had our eye on Judas and we've seen that he's a bit of a dodgy character and we know that he's the one who's going to end up betraying you, Jesus. Is that what they do? Verse 22 of John chapter 13. Right after he says that one of them's going to betray him, what do the disciples do? His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. They had no idea. They were at a complete loss as to who Jesus could mean. They had no idea that it was Judas who was going to be uh, betraying Jesus. And even after Jesus points out to John who it's going to be by dipping the piece of bread and passing it over to Judas, does John immediately go, oh, of course, Judas, I've always suspected that. Yes, yes, I'll get right on that, Jesus, and block him from going to betray you. No, we see uh, that... Jesus indicates in verse 26 of John chapter 13 he says that the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish then dipping the piece of bread he gave it to Judas Iscariot son of Simon and as soon as Judas took the bread Satan entered into him what you are about to do do quickly Jesus told him and then verse 28 he's just indicated who is going to betray him verse 28 but no one at the meal that includes John understood why Jesus said this to him. No idea. He's he's been indicated this is the guy who's going to betray you and he still hasn't cottoned on that this is going to take place right now. And, And we see that instead they start to try and work out excuses as to why Judas may suddenly get up and leave. Verse 29, since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. None of them were suspicious at all. This tells us that humans are very good at hiding sins. We know that from our own personal experience as well. We are very clever at hiding our true selves and the sins that we do day by day. These guys had lived with Judas for three years. They had slept in the same room. They had eaten together with Judas and yet they had no idea what was going on. We have to be very careful about hiding sins ourselves because one day it could be our downfall. And so my question for you this morning is, what sins are you hiding? What potentially damaging sins are you hiding that no one else knows about, that you are keeping to yourselves, you are content to live with, You may have struggled against it and you know that you aren't able on your own. You've been trying to overcome it in your own life for ages. But you're just letting it sit there, letting it continue to fester in your hearts. 
Don't let such sins go unnoticed. Tell them to some other Christian who you trust and love. Tell them, get them to be accountable, you you to be accountable to them. Get them to pray for you. The power of prayer is an amazing thing. Don't let such sins continue to dwell in your heart. Make yourself accountable to someone so that they can help you bear that burden and get them to pray for you regularly. Don't let your sin go unnoticed like Judas did. He was able to keep it to himself, keep his sin of a love for money to continue to fester there and it led him to betray Jesus Christ altogether. You never know what that sin will eventually do if you allow it to grow in your heart that one day it will lead you to betray Jesus Christ and to wander from the faith altogether. And conversely, we need to be careful as Christians that we don't assume that everyone around us is okay, that everyone who calls himself a Christian is actually a Christian. Judas here called himself a believer. He called himself a disciple of Jesus Christ. And from all appearances he looked like a disciple of Jesus Christ. No one actually had any idea what was going on in his heart. And so we as Christians have to care for other Christians and be careful to just simply assume that everyone is okay around us. Look at each other's lives. Get involved with each other. Be friends with one another. And watch out for sins that may betray someone's true heart and where they are. Because rotten trees do produce rotten fruit and so we have to look out for the rotten fruit that may be incurring in people's lives and be ready to challenge them on it. Don't let it go as one of those things that, oh, lots of people struggle with that and so it's okay. They're still a Christian and they're not actually in danger of betraying the faith. When you see someone sinning, be ready to confront them on it. Rebuke them. Do it gently, be kind in the way that you do it and don't lord yourself over them and if you struggle with the the same sin yourself don't uh, remove the speck from your brother's eye when you've got a plank in your own eye. Heed those warnings but don't let sin go on uh, unchecked. We've got to get in people's lives and be careful about ascertaining where people's hearts really are because someone around you may be claiming to be a Christian but in their heart they aren't a Christian at all and you may be able to twig to that by seeing the fruit in their lives and be able to share the gospel with them so that they aren't like Judas and eventually betray Jesus Christ altogether and wander completely from the Christian faith. You may be able to stop them from doing that. And if you are someone who comes here week by week and you know that you are like Judas you are deep down not a Christian at all, you've been putting on a good front to everyone and calling yourself a Christian when you know that you do not have a love for Jesus Christ, you do not think that you're a sinner and in need of repentance and in need of Jesus' sacrifice at the cross, don't do it any longer. Reveal truly who you are. Don't pretend you're a Christian when you're not. Don't be like Judas. Reveal who you are. Stop putting on such a face in front of everyone. Tell people that you aren't a Christian. Ask them what you need to do. Repent of your sins. Believe in Jesus Christ as a payment for your sins. Stop being like Judas, deep down, knowing that you aren't a follower of Christ, but you'd like just going with the flow for what you can get 
from other Christians or from what you can get by just being a Christian, by calling yourself a Christian. Stop being like Judas. So my first lesson was from Judas that we don't love money. The second was don't hide your sin. The third main point is that Judas warns us not to use our privileges for evil. Judas was a very privileged man. Imagine what he had experienced for three years with Jesus Christ. He had seen Jesus' miracles. He had heard Jesus preach. Imagine that. I would love to hear Spurgeon preach or Calvin preach, but imagine hearing Jesus Christ himself preach. That's what Judas had been there and witnessed. Judas had enjoyed the benefit of private instruction with Jesus Christ. Jesus often pulled his disciples aside and gave them private words. Judas had been there for that. Judas had even done things in Christ's name. He'd worked miracles. He had preached in Christ's name. He had even experienced privilege as one of the disciples and he was elevated to some degree. He was trusted with the money bag. That says something about him. That says that he was privileged, that people looked up to him as someone who was trustworthy. He may have been a good businessman and we see that with his ability to assess how much the perfume's worth and so it may have made sense to make him in charge of the money bag. But it was a great privilege that he had. God, uh, Jesus had given him this trust and said, you're the man for this. I'm going to trust you with this. It was a great privilege. He had taken part in the Last Supper there and Jesus had actually washed his feet. Imagine having Jesus Christ come and do that act of service. Wash your feet for you. That's what Judas had had. He had had such love from Jesus. And even at that Last Supper, as I said before in the children's talk, the the sign of giving that piece of bread dipped to a person at the meal as the head of the banquet was actually a sign of great favour in the culture that Jesus was in. To be handed that piece of bread was a sign of great favour from Jesus Christ. Right up to betrayal, Jesus is showing Judas great privilege. And the fact that Jesus could actually pass it to him meant that Judas was probably sitting very close. Most commentators say that John would have been on one side, it was sort of a U-shaped table that they were having the the Last Supper at and Jesus would have been at the head and then there was John and probably Judas at the other side and Peter somewhere nearby that he could motion to John to ask who was going to betray. So Judas was right there in a place of privilege, right near Jesus Christ. He was immensely privileged. And what did he use those privileges for? that close companionship with Jesus, that close friendship, what did he use it for? For evil, for evil purposes. That's how he was able to betray Jesus Christ was because he had experienced all those privileges, all those privileges for years with Jesus, he was able to use them. And that's what we see happen in chapter 18 of John's Gospel. John's Gospel, chapter 18, verse 1, we see that Jesus finishes praying Jesus leaves with his disciples and crosses the Kidron Valley. On the other side there was an olive grove and he and his disciples went into it. And then verse 2, Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place. Why did Judas know the place? Because Jesus had often met there with everyone. No, he'd often met there with his disciples. He'd met there with the privileged people. 
and that included Judas. Judas used that privilege, that knowledge of where Jesus goes with his disciples for evil, for a gain of 120 days' work. That's what he did. He used his privileges for evil. And so we can learn from Judas not to use our privileges for evil. We are a very privileged people. You may not always feel like you're a privileged person, but if you live here in Australia, you are a privileged person and you've been blessed by God. We have the privilege of knowing about Christ and God from a young age. We may not grow up in in Christian homes, but we have scripture here in the schools and it's very likely that you've come across mention of God and Christ and Jesus and who he is in the schools. We are seen to be a Christian country and so if you start to study a bit of history of Australia, you start to see our links back to England and start to, and it's, it's so linked when church and state are close together. It's just uh, when you study history, you can't help but study the church at times. We have a Christian heritage there. We Even in our parliament, we still say the Lord's Prayer every day. I mean, there's pressure to, to remove it, but it's still there at the moment. You hear, if you, if you witness Parliament there, they say the Lord's Prayer. We are a privileged people and there is a knowledge of Christ and a knowledge of Jesus Christ in this land uh, everywhere. In, in, we can't get away from it because we are a Christian country. And we are privileged in the fact that we have religious freedom in that sense as well, that we can come together uh, to church on Sundays, meet openly and worship Christ. We can meet in Bible studies. We can meet uh, together one-on-one to talk about Jesus Christ. We can carry a Bible in the street. What a privilege we have. Some countries, you could not do that. We are a privileged people. We have the privilege of cheap books as well. You may not think that's so much of a privilege, but think about the fact that you have a Bible in your hands right now, most of you, from what I can see. You have a copy of the Bible and at home you probably have a copy of the Bible too, I hope. In previous generations, people just didn't have that. You didn't have a copy of the Bible, particularly a copy in your own language for you to understand. Books were very expensive up until the time of the printing press. It cost like a year's wages. You'd have to pay a scribe to copy out the Bible. Imagine spending a year's salary to get a book, to get a copy of the Bible. It would be beyond most people to ever have that. And sometimes to to compensate they would have a Bible in the church and they'd chain it up and so you'd go along and read the Bible at the church. That was where your closest copy of the Bible was and you have to stand in a line to to get a read. You have an immense privilege to have a copy of the Bible for yourself. We have a privilege in cheap books and that means we also have cheap books, uh, other Christian books that we can read. Books written by many faithful, godly men and women over the centuries that can encourage us and can rebuke us and can point us in the right direction, help us to understand God's word when we read it. It is a wonderful privilege that we can own such books and have them for ourselves. We also have the privilege of the internet. This is something new in our generation coming through, but it is a wonderful privilege. We can access over the internet world-class preachers We can access their sermons, we can access their audio of hearing them preach and we can even, if you've got a fast enough connection, get video of them and watch it on your computer at a very minimal cost. 
The internet comes with a world of resources that are privileges for us as Christians. We also have the privilege of lots of money like no other generation. We are in a recession at the moment and people are feeling financial constraints but we are still a very rich people. In comparison to the, the majority of the world's population, we have wealth like no one else. And so that means that we can further Christ's kingdom in our own hearts and in the hearts of the people around us very easily. We don't have to give sacrificially in the sense that we have to give up money that we actually need and require as that woman does it before Jesus. She puts in all she has to live on. She gives to Christ. We can give huge amounts of money without actually feeling too much of a pinch ourselves. We can help the poor of the world without feeling too much limited on our own lives. We have great wealth and that is a great privilege from God. And we have the great privilege of more recreation time than any other generation. The amount of free time that we have is incredible compared to other generations. Other generations, they worked constantly, long hours, and they didn't have time for the endless recreation that we have today. We have things that continue to increase our recreation time, like dishwashers and washing machines. All these household chores that used to take hours and hours are now reduced with these machines so that we can have all this recreation time. So it makes sense that we are a privileged people that can spend time going to church on Sunday. It should not be time that we think, oh, I, could, I want to spend that doing something else. One hour a week is so, so small in comparison to how much recreation time we have. To go to Bible study, to spend a bit of time each day in quiet time, with God ourselves, reading his word, praying to him, very small portion of our recreation time can be given to that. We are a privileged people and so we may not have the same privileges of, Jesus, of Judas in hearing Jesus Christ preach and things like that but we are still a privileged people and we should learn from Judas not to use those privileges for evil instead. Don't use your privilege of a knowledge of Jesus Christ which you get so easily from this culture to ridicule it and to undermine it. I read commentaries to prepare these sermons and some of the, the, the best commentaries on the Greek text and things like that are written by people who undermine the text all the time. I was reading a commentary on, on, uh, on these texts that we've been looking at today talking about Judas and talking about how Judas used to dip into the money bag and just totally discounted the idea that John could have known about this and said this is another example of John the Apostle trying to blacken the name of Judas. They just completely undermine it. Here's someone with great Bible training, has a great knowledge of the Greek text itself and here they are undermining biblical truth all the time. And we have to be careful that our knowledge as Christians, we aren't seeking to undermine Christ as well. We aren't being like Judas and betraying Christ with the privilege that we have. We shouldn't use our privilege of cheap books to constantly read trashy magazines and novels and things that are unhelpful. We shouldn't use our privilege of the internet to gain access to other unhelpful materials such as audio and video and text. The internet brings great evil as well as great good and we have to be careful that we don't use that privilege for evil. We have to use, and be careful that we don't use our privilege of lots of money 
for evil as well. We can buy all kinds of things because we have so much spare money that could be unhelpful to us and we should be careful not to use our large amounts of recreation time for things that are unhelpful as well. Use them for things that are productive and supportive of those around us that God would look upon as great, uh, great use of your time. I, I, I do like movies and I do like television shows but the amount of television that is watched by people that's recorded, uh, they, they do different studies and show how much television children are watching and how much television adults are watching and I just think there goes all your recreation time. There goes all that time. You spend it watching television and they spend, they spend it, their, their evenings doing it, they spend their weekends doing it and then you go right through life and then you get to hospital, you're dying. What do they have above your bed? A television set. You entertain yourself completely to death. We have so much recreation time. Make sure you use that privilege for good and not for evil. So, three lessons from Judas. Don't love money. Don't hide your sin. Don't use your privileges for evil. I was at a wedding yesterday and the, the father of the bride got up to give the speech and he, you know, they say nice things about the bride and, and the groom and then they try and give some sort of advice. And he said, learn from mistakes. And he said, learn from mistakes but the best way to learn from mistakes is to learn from other people's mistakes. Don't learn from your own mistakes. Don't make mistakes and that way you won't learn from them but learn from other people's mistakes. Here we see Judas as someone who made a big mistake. Jesus says, woe to him. It would have been better if he'd never been born. He made a huge mistake. Let us learn from his mistake so that we don't make the same mistake. Let us speak with our God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great warning that Judas stands for us. We pray that we may heed the warning that we can gain from him. We pray that we may not love money, that it may not lead us to evil, but that we may be content with what we have. We pray that we may not hide our sin and let it fester inside us and lead us to a betrayal of the faith altogether. We pray that we may be helping one another to not sin and we may be sharing the gospel with each other so that we are all true believers and not deep down unbelievers putting on a face to those around us. And we pray that we may not use the immense privileges we have for evil. Lord, help us to serve you with all our hearts and with all that we have. In your Son's name. Amen.